Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Jonathan Monk. I have the privilege to serve on staff here at Christian Family Chapel as our high school uh, youth pastor. I've been here a couple years. So we welcome you over in North. And if you're watching um, online, I actually wasn't supposed to teach this morning. Um, Doug was supposed to, um, but he does have a quick video explaining why. So here's a quick video from Doug. Hey, CFC. Missed you the last two weeks. Had the great privilege uh, two weekends ago to do the wedding for my son Tommy over in Gainesville. So, and then last week up in uh, South Carolina. Uh, regrettably, while there, I contracted COVID. And so, I am on quarantine right now. Uh, thankfully, thus far, the Lord's been very gracious and that my symptoms are pretty normal a little body aches and fever, but nothing more than that so far. Also, I want to let you know that since I was out of town, uh, none of the staff have been compromised in any way, so I'm grateful for that. So uh, praying for you, praying for Jonathan as he speaks uh, to you today, that the Lord would speak to you through him. Thanks for prayers that you would pray on behalf of my wife Jackie and I, who hasn't shown any symptoms thus far. So <clears throat> hate not being there and honestly hate being in quarantined and actually only hoping that the fish in the river behind me hate that I'm in quarantine also. I uh, miss you guys. God bless. Have a great day. So Doug's probably fishing right now. I don't know. Maybe he's watching online, but uh, yeah, we, we do miss him. You know, let me, let's just pause real quick and pray for him real fast. Uh, he is doing fine as you heard there. But Father, we thank you for our pastor, for the shepherd, the leader that he is to us, um, the way that he consistently teaches your word, the way that he encourages us. And so uh, as he goes about his Sunday, I know that he would like to be here opening up and teaching your word, but uh, but he's not. Um, So I just pray that you would get him back here quickly to us, that you would heal his body Um, use Jackie to encourage him and others as well. And uh, we trust you with this. And as we ask, we're asking because we believe that uh, you can heal. We trust what you do and we're going to praise you no matter what. So we pray this in your name. Amen. So yeah, kind of a little bit of surprise. Uh, Maybe some of you already knew that, but um, yeah, I found this out Wednesday. And so I get a call from Doug at 7 a.m. And so when I realized that it was Doug, I was like, am I in trouble? Um, why is he calling me so early? Typically he doesn't, that's not normal. So step outside, get on the phone. Uh, cause I was with my wife, Allison, and we were making breakfast for our girls. So I step outside, get on the phone with Doug and he tells me what you just heard there. And so he asked me if I would teach. And of course I said, yes. I mean, what was I supposed to say? No, uh, I love to teach. It's really, it's an honor to be able to open up the Bible and, and to teach. So I said, yes, uh, a, a little excited, but obviously, you know, nervous. And so I walked back inside and Allison said, well, what was that about? And I said, well, Doug is asking me to teach this weekend. And she says, what are you going to teach? And then I said, I don't know. And so that began a conversation where we tried to figure out, well, what could we teach? And then um, what, what, what could we teach? What could I teach? But, you know, she's right there with me. Uh, and so we tried to think through that. And I, she helped me see that, you know what, it would be good to teach on something that would be helpful and relatable to everybody, regardless of their age or stage of life. So I, I typically teach the high school students, but what would be a topic that is relatable to everybody? And so here's the topic that uh, my wife helped me land on is this right here. 
conflict um, resolution, right? Uh, this is something we've talked about with our high school students before, but this is relatable to everybody because we all deal with conflict. Your conflict may be sitting next to you this morning. Uh, COVID has brought conflict. I mean, 2020 has been a very interesting year to say the least, and who knows what the next few months will be like. So uh, conflict is, is hard, but I, I don't think we should be surprised by it because we live in, if you look at the world that we live in, our world is broken. Conflict is all around us. And as we look in the pages of scripture, which we'll turn to a passage in the moment in the New Testament, but if I just open up my Bible and I turn to Genesis and the first few pages of the Bible, I see that there actually, there was no conflict. But then I get to Genesis three and I see that as a result of the fall, there was conflict. And what relationship? Well, between Adam and Eve. So there's conflict in marriage. Then you go to Genesis four and where does conflict take place? It takes place between two brothers, right? Cain and then Abel. And yet in Genesis chapter three, in the midst of conflict and the chaos of that, there's actually hope and redemption. That in Genesis 3.15, God promises that there would be a Satan crusher, one who would come who would eventually crush Satan, which obviously speaks of Jesus. And though conflict takes place throughout the Old Testament and obviously the New Testament even till to, uh, to, uh, now, uh, we see that in the New Testament, the Prince of Peace comes, Jesus. And then Paul and Romans 16 says this, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And then we get to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. We are told that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So one day there will be no conflict. So you see that? Yeah, that is, yeah, yay. Uh, There is an encouragement there because regardless of our conflict this morning, as you look at the storyline of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, there's hope. There's hope to resolve conflict. And so what I want to do, though, is start with a quick definition of, um, of what conflict is. And I'm, I'm borrowing this definition from a guy named Ken Sandy, which, by the way, I, I'm not an expert on conflict. I, I'm just a person who hasn't done it well. And I really do want to do it right um, and through, the, through the last several years. And so I've had people like Ken Sandy, another guy named Tony Marita, uh, Doug, of course, uh, some of our elders, several people have come around me over the last uh, couple years, especially since I've been on staff. And this is something I really want to do well. Um, so anyways, Ken Sandy in his book, Peacemaker, he says, a difference in, here's how he defines conflict. It's a difference in opinion that frustrates someone's goals or desires. So a difference in opinion that frustrates someone's goals or desires. So if you're taking notes, maybe you want to uh, think for a moment. Can you think about a recent conflict that you have been in or, uh, or maybe one that you're in right now, a current conflict? Pause for about five seconds. Has maybe a conflict come to mind? Maybe for some of you, you're like, I, I don't have any conflict in my life, which is good. That's a good place to be. Uh, so maybe you can't think of a particular scenario either from the past or in the current, but uh, maybe some of you will have conflict as the holidays uh, approach in, in November. Uh, maybe some of you already know this and you're not really looking forward to it, but there's going to be a particular family member that's going to come in town for Thanksgiving. And you know that as, as the dinner table conversation rolls around, that this person's going to bring up politics and you're going to go, oh man. And then you're going to try to change the conversation and say, well, did you see the game last night? And that's not going to go well. Right. And then it's going to create conflict. There's going to be some tension there. Or maybe as a parent this past week or in the last couple of weeks, 
you uh, try to approach your son or, da- son or daughter about an issue and you ended up lashing out on them and it didn't go well and you regret what you said and what you did, but you don't really know how you're gonna do things differently. And you're like, man, wh- where do I go moving forward from here? What's the next conversation look like? Or maybe as a married couple, you're starting to plan for Christmas and you realize that both family, your, your family and her family are gonna be in town and you're trying to figure out what Christmas looks like. And as you talk through that on the drive this morning uh, here to church, you got in conflict. And you're trying to figure out what that looks like and then this afternoon, that conversation will still um, be there. Or maybe this past week at work, your boss in front of other people uh, said or did something that kind of hurts you and, and, and you kind of were like, man, what was that about? And you know that going to work tomorrow, you're going to have to see him and you're not looking forward to it. See, we face conflict. It's, in, it's inevitable. And regardless, I think, of what our conflict is, we have hope as we look in Scripture. And I, my hope this morning is not just to tell you what I think or what I have to say, but what God's Word has to say. And so if you want to turn to the New Testament and meet me in the book of James... I think that's a good place to start as we look at what's the source of conflict? In other words, where does it come from? So you can turn there to James 4. And a simple outline of what I'd like to do this morning, if you're taking notes, is I want to look at the source of conflict, different responses to how people, different ways people respond to conflict, the solution to conflict, and then a few practical questions uh, to ask ourselves at the end. And by the way, if you're watching online or if you're in North or obviously in here and you're not yet a Christian and maybe your spouse just brought you here, you're like, okay, I'll come. Or your parents brought you here and you're like, all right, I'm here, but you're not yet a believer. This is actually a great Sunday to be here or to be watching online because we're talking about something that is relevant to all humanity, right? So if you're not a believer, first of all, I am super glad that for whatever reason on a Sunday morning, you're here or you're watching. And I'd like to simply say to you that there is something for you in this message that you can actually have. uh, What you'll see is you can have peace with God and peace with other people. And there'll be a part that you'll see in in here for that. So, uh, all right. If you think about our conflict, what's the source of it? I mean, if you've ever wondered like, man, where did that, how did that happen? Or, Or how did that start? Well, listen to what James says. In chapter four, verse one, the source of conflict. So here's what James says. This is from the ESV. What causes quarrels? So what causes conflict? What causes quarrels or what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So by passions or pleasures at war within you, he has in mind um, what he mentions in chapter three. In verse 14, he talks about selfishness and jealousy. So I think that's what he has in mind, uh, pleasures, or the, yeah, ESV says passions, NASB says pleasures. And then he says this in verse two, you desire, so you want something, and you do not have it, so you murder. Now, some, in some cases, conflict can lead to murder. Obviously, that's, we see that biblically with, uh, with Cain and Abel. But it, it, I think what James has in mind, it could be murder, but also hating one another. You covet, so there's something that you want, and you see what someone else has, and they they have it, but you don't, but you want it, you want your way, you want to be heard, so you covet and you cannot obtain, so what do you do? You fight and you quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask, and then in verse three, he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. 
Then he says in verse four that ultimately James goes right to the heart and he says, man, this is spiritual adultery. I want what I want and I cannot get it. And James says, this is a real um, problem here. So most people, including myself, I've thought that conflict is always started by the other person, but James says it starts within my own heart. So if you are writing, taking notes that ultimately there's an internal war going on in here in my heart, something that I want, and it leads to a external war with someone else. I want my way. I want to be heard. David Pallison, he says that there's always a craving below the conflict. So it's always good to ask ourselves, what was I craving? What was I wanting? I just wanted my way. I know for me, I, sometimes I want what I want. And when that mentality is in the, is, and when I'm thinking that, man, I'm not going to be thinking what's best for other people. So I think what James is saying here, this is impacts both our relationships with, with others and with God. All right. So that's the source. Well, when people are in conflict, how do they respond? So as you think about your own current situation, what are ways in which people respond? Well, let me give you three different ways that people respond. The first is this. Some people, not saying in all cases, not saying this about you, uh, but in some cases, when people are in conflict, and I'm borrowing this from Ken Sandy, this is from his book, but he says that in some cases, people escape conflict. They, they avoid uh, or they, they flight. They don't want to deal with it. Uh, this is a person who acts like it's not a big deal or they're thinking that there's peace in the relationship when there's not peace in the relationship. And this person is a peace faker. They're, they're faking peace. They're, they're just focused on themselves. They don't really want to work it out or have the hard um, conversation. And as I've talked about this with some people, some people go, wait, but isn't it good to avoid conflict? Like we don't want to be confrontational. Like my brother said that to me one time. He said, Jonathan, you're so confrontational, man. Calm down. When I was younger, um, <clears throat> maybe in some cases I still am still working on it. But um, so some people think I need to, I need to avoid it, right? Well, I think there's wisdom in that to give that person space or time or even your own uh, heart some time or some space to really think through what you need to say. Uh, but to avoid it altogether is not good. I know sometimes people think, well, I don't want to say anything to this person. I don't want to bring it up because I'm only going to make it worse. Or it's just in my head. Like, it's just me. It's not a them thing. It's a me thing. And I'm just making a big deal out of it. Or if I talk to them, I'm just going to upset them or make it worse. But refusing to resolve conflict and to escape, I think we're actually missing on an opportunity to glorify God and then to grow. Not just personally, but to help another uh, believer or another family member um, grow. So that's one way people respond to conflict. On the, on the other extreme, you have some people who do, the, who do this. So this person's focused on themselves. But on the other extreme, you have some people who attack. They, they attack um, verbally or physically. This person is a peace breaker. They're not, they're not interested in making peace. They want to break peace. They want their way. Again, there's a craving that is below their conflict. This person will come into a conversation with anger, defensive. Their tone is way off. They're focused on the other person being wrong. And in some cases, they'll attack them to their face verbally or behind their back with gossip. So we don't want to go in one of these two extremes. We don't want to escape. We don't want to attack. So what do we want to do? We want to, we want to do this right here. 
So this person's focused on themselves, but we wanna, we wanna work it out. When it comes to the conflict that we're in, as we see in scripture, we wanna be people who, who really seek to work it out. What, in a day? No. In a week? No. Sometimes it takes some time. We wanna work it out how? By being a peacemaker. Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount. And when I say a peacemaker, to clarify, I'm not saying a peacekeeper. Some people say that. That's popular today. Hey, man, we got to keep the peace. Just keep the peace. But in some ways, a, a peacekeeper is not willing to have the hard conversation and to work it out and to understand where the other person was coming from. But a peacemaker is one who's willing to step into a conversation if it, if it needs to, and they're willing to step in and make peace where there is no Peace. That's James, right before, in James 3.18, before Jesus, or before he mentions what causes quarrels and conflicts, in James 3.18, he says, man, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. And this person is focused on us, not winning an argument, not putting themselves above the person, or putting that person in their place, but this person's really wanting to preserve a relationship or the relationship. So as you look at these three responses, which one best describes you? What would you say this morning? If, if you were honest with yourself, of these three responses in your current conflict or in past conflicts, which one best describes you? What would your spouse say? What would your kids say? What would the people who know you best, who live with you, who are learning from you, which of these three would you say? I think we, we all, I, I wanna be here. I wanna be here. I wasn't prepared to teach this weekend, but oh, if we're looking at these notes and just getting ready and looking at God's word, I was like, I want to be a peacemaker. And it's hard, right? Because it's gonna take time, it's inconvenient, it's exhausting, it's awkward. It's really awkward to have some conversations with people sometimes. But I wanna be a, a peacemaker. How? I think it starts with our solution here in James, um, Chapter four, verse six, so he says this. So despite the messiness of our relationship sometimes and the conflict that we find ourselves in due to our own craving, our own internal war, there's actually good news here. And this is a verse just to pause and to kind of soak in. But he gives more grace. Now, if you read the NASB, talk to me here. What does the NASB say? But he gives a, you can say that loud. He gives a greater grace. So at ESV, he gives more grace. NASB, he gives a greater grace, which makes me think of the question, greater than what? Well, greater than my sin, greater than whatever caused the conflict, greater than what I want. God gives grace. And when I think about grace, I think of the gospel of grace, Jesus. And if I'm going to resolve conflict, it starts with my eyes and my mind uh, focused on Jesus. And Tony Reed in his book, On Conflict, he, he titles his book, The Christ-Centered or Christ-Centered Conflict Resolution, which is a great title because there is no conflict, uh, conflict resolution apart from Christ. And as we sang earlier, or as Isaac read earlier in John 15, we really believe and agree with Jesus that apart from him, we can do nothing. So if you're in this room and you're like, man, I really want to be a peacemaker. And I'm not always, but I want to be. I think it starts with remembering the peacemaker, Jesus. The one who... Um, who came into this world, this broken conflict world, he experienced conflict personally. Um, he, he, people were jealous of him, 
but we know that Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of what Jesus did, and there's a hymn that I, I learned years ago, wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross, Christ was wounded for me. Gone are my transgressions and now I am free. Why? Because Jesus was wounded for me. And he has risen. He's risen for me up from the grave. He has risen for me. Now ever more free from death sting, I am free because Jesus has risen for me. He died and he suffered in my place. And because that happened, Romans 5 says that I was once an enemy of God. I can now become a friend of God, which is kind of what Doug has talked about through the life of Abraham. We get to become friends of God. We get to be justified. And in Romans 5, Paul says that you, since you have been justified, you have peace with God. Let me pause real fast. If you're an unbeliever in this room and you really want to resolve conflict in your life, please understand that the greatest relationship you need to resolve is between you and God. And you can have peace with God today. You don't achieve it, you receive it by trusting in Jesus. Not in what you've done, not in the fact that you come to church. It's by trusting him. So anyways, to so the rest of us, we have peace with God. Then, this is so helpful in, understand, in how to resolve conflict. So we have peace with God, but then Paul says in Philippians 4 that we get to experience the peace of God. That's good. But then in Hebrews 12, this is challenging. The writer of Hebrews says that we're to strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone, and that's hard, isn't it? Strive for peace with everybody? This is what we wanna do. We wanna look at the peacemaker. We wanna go and make peace with others. Second way I think we resolve conflict, the solution that is, is to both humble ourselves and submit to God, specifically to his word, so we humble ourselves by submitting to what he has said in his word about conflict, that is. So if we want to approach and resolve conflict, it obviously starts with our focus on Jesus and what he has done for us, the example that he has set. But also, we want to, we want to be humble and not prideful. Because it's easy, I know this personally, it's easy to be defensive when it comes to conflict. The proud person is the one who says, I'm in the right and then you're in the wrong but the proud person will never resolve conflict it's the humble person who simply says i don't have it all together yes i have my own sin that i'm working on but the humble person says i really i really aspire i want to make peace and i think it's the humble person who aspires the qualities of a peacemaker look at this verse with me real quick it's not on the screen but look at james 3 verse 17 real fast and this can be a verse that you can read later the qualities of a peacemaker. In James 3, verse 17, he says this. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. So I want, I'm humbling myself. I want to hear what, God, what God's wisdom is. Well, his, the wisdom that he provides, I'm in the middle of verse 17. It's gentle, it's reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. Just imagine how might conflict be different if we were reasonable and we really sought to be understanding to where the other person is coming from. So James 3.17 is a great verse to, to kind of tuck away and come to maybe later this afternoon or as you get into your week. Now let me give you four practical questions. So you want to be a peacemaker. You're like, okay, but I, I need something practical. Well, here are some questions that you might ask yourself as you seek to be a peacemaker. First, Go to Matthew, 
uh, seven, it'll give you four questions and four M's. Me first, minor, major, and mediator is how we'll break that down real quick. So Matthew seven, it says this, this is Jesus. And Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse four, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so Jesus is simply saying here is I need to deal with my own sin first so that I can help somebody else. Eric Geiger, in one of the books that he wrote, he said that, uh, I was so convicted by this, by the way. Eric Geiger said, we get, we get more upset at another person's sin than we do our own sin. Failing to forget that my sin is against the holy God. And yet in some ways, I'm doing the same exact thing that that person's doing. And I just, man, I miss addressing the issues in my own heart and I focus on the other person. Sometimes in conflict, it's easy to assume that the reason that we're in conflict is because of something that they did. And maybe on the, the, the drive this, to, to church this morning or maybe last night, there was a conflict that started and the other person did start it. Okay, but how did you respond? When they came at you defensive and when their tone was not what it should be, how did you respond? And so when asking this question, is there a log in my own eye, it's just a good way to just check yourself, okay? Is there any, did I, do I need to take responsibility for anything in here? Do I need to confess anything? Is there, was there anything wrong in me? And I've been challenged by this, that man, what would happen or what could change in my conflict resolution if this step was followed, if I just did this first? How might uh, things change and maybe people would be less hurt? Ed Welch, he says, that if we do this, Matthew 7 right here, that the result will be, there will be uh, we will stop fighting and start asking for forgiveness. Stop fighting and start asking for forgiveness. Bill Winton, our middle school youth pastor, he taught me when I was an intern for him, the nine words that we should learn to say. I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Maybe you need to go and say that to somebody uh, today. Well, the next question, M comes from, so is there a log in my own eye? Me first. Second question comes from Proverbs 19, 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it's his glory to overlook an offense. Can I overlook this offense? Here's the next question. You also see this in 1 Peter um, 4, 11. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And so here, as I'm seeking to resolve conflict, I've checked my own heart. Is there a log in my own eye? Now I need to think through was the person who offended me, is this a minor offense or a major offense? And this is really where we begin to, uh, to do forgiveness, okay? I, before I even go talk to them, I stand before the Lord and I forgive as God in Christ has forgiven me. And I try to think through, is this a sin issue or is this a preference issue? Some examples of preferences, they just didn't call you back or text you back as soon as you would have liked. Or a group of people gathered together, we're gathered together and there's something, uh, there, something going on and you, were invited, you weren't invited and you were left out and you're hurt by that. Or someone disagreed with you in front of someone, in front of another particular person and you were embarrassed and you preferred it not happen that way. Or someone made a joke that just didn't land on you the way that uh, you would have, you kind of, you're like, man, that's not a cool joke or whatever. 
this has happened to me when I was in, in college at, uh, in South Carolina. A good friend of mine, he was just joking around, but I didn't take it that way. And there's no one around. It was just him and I in our dorm. And he was making a joke. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't really like that. I got so uh, frustrated by it. I pulled him aside, man, and I laid into him. I was angry and he responded by crying, right? Not because he was scared of me, but he was crying because he was like, man, that's not my intent at all. He's like, I was just joking with you. And I was like, what? You were joking? He's like, yeah, I just was joking. I was like, okay, I thought you were trying to be mean. I thought you were trying to embarrass me. I thought you were trying to make me look dumb. And he's like, no, that's not what I was trying to do at all. And I think we both learned in that conversation, but that was not a major offense. That was a minor offense. And I learned a lot through that. Sometimes it's easy to assume wrong motives with people. Have you ever done that before? They said this or they did this because this is what they really meant. And that's not their motive at all. We've got to be careful not to assume um, motives. If you're trying to figure out if this is a minor offense, here's some questions you might could ask yourself. Were their actions sinful? This would be great maybe to talk with someone today or in your family group. Did they mean to do it? Can I move past this? Is this a one-time incident or has this happened repeatedly? And then lastly, did this action harm you or someone else? I walked through this with a student recently in our senior high ministry and I was so proud of this person. They didn't tell me the person, they told me the situation generally and they came to the conclusion, I can overlook this offense. This is not a sin issue. I'm gonna forgive this person. Now, what if you're like, no, it's not a preference issue. It was a sin issue. I was genuinely trying to love this person and they, they came at me. They attacked me uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm hurting by it. Uh, it's eating me away. Well, then I think if it's not a, a preference issue, it's a sin issue and someone has sinned against you, what passage do we go to? We go to Matthew 18. Ryan Jorgensen actually mentioned this passage just last week. If a brother sins against you, you go and you tell them his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So we go to Matthew 18 with this question in mind. Does this offense require the process of, of, of restoration? This is not a, a minor offense. It's a major offense. You go and you talk to them, uh, probably not over a text, but in person, probably not over a phone call, though sometimes that's uh, the only way to make it happen. And you go into this conversation privately, very familiar passage here at Christian Family Chapel, but we go in there uh, not to elevate ourselves or to put them down, but to win them, to get them to repent. And we go into the conversation gently, not in anger. And I remember one time I went into a conversation with anger. There was probably a legitimate uh, Matthew 18, one-on-one conversation I needed to have with a student while I was a part-time youth pastor in North Carolina. And I went and I, I legitimately, in my own heart, was just irritated and frustrated with this student and his parents. I remember I pulled him aside one Sunday night at our church and just in anger, man, tried, tried to deal with the issue. And it wasn't right. It wasn't. And it, it, it didn't land on him well. He only got defensive. The parents were hurt. It was wrong. And what I did not do going into that conversation was simply pray beforehand. Is there a log in my own eye? I, I didn't do that. And I wish I would have. And so I think we have to be careful how we go into these one-on-one -on -one conversations, that we pray beforehand asking ourselves a question like this. Um, is this something that I can fall into? Is the sin that I'm about to address, have I done that? Am, am I doing that? And we come, in it to, uh, come into this conversation humbly. Uh, someone recently has taught me that Matthew 18 has a lot of patience. 
And you may be wondering, what if I go and I talk to someone and they're not willing to have that conversation? I think you give them some time. You can't force them to have the conversation. I think you give them some time. And I think when you do have the conversation and if it doesn't go well, that first conversation, Doug has taught me that the second conversation is more important than the first conversation. Because in the first conversation, the person might be caught off, caught off guard. They may be frustrated with themselves and they may need some time for the spirit of God to work on their hearts. That second conversation might be good to, to come back to. So um, now, it, as you know, Matthew 18, if the person isn't responsive, then obviously you bring other people involved and then you tell it to the church. But let's be clear on this, that Matthew 18 is not a, a, a process that we rush through, but it's an opportunity to come alongside someone and love them well. Well, if it's not a, a sin issue, moving outside of Matthew 18, what if it's a wisdom issue, right? Well, then you need to, uh, maybe a passage like this, or maybe there's a family situation going on over a will or an inheritance, or you as a family, you own a, let's say a property, and there's, it, the, owning the property has just created some tension in the, in the family. Not, not sin, but there's just brokenness between uh, two particular family members. It might be good to bring in a mediator. We're not exactly sure what's going on here in Philippians 4, but Paul speaks about two women and there's conflict going on. And Paul says, I treat Yodi, I treat Sinki to agree in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, so he's talking about someone, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So in other words, two believers in conflict, you need to get someone to come and, and, and step into this conversation as a mediator. So maybe that's applicable to you this morning. Not a sin issue, but it would be wise to bring a, a mediator to come into the conversation. Now, what if you go through these questions and you've really sought to reconcile with somebody, but they're not responsive? They avoid you, they attack you. What do you do? Can you think of a passage in the New Testament that gives us a little bit of hope or, or, or perspective? Anybody think of one? How about this passage? Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, you live at peace with all people. Isn't that a great verse? We want to strive for this. And now, interesting, notice here what Paul says. What do you say? See it? If possible. If possible. So apparently there's going to be times where it's not possible to be at peace in every moment, at every relationship at all times. But taking this passage into the equation with Hebrews that I mentioned earlier, Hebrews 12, 14, we want to pursue peace. And we don't want to ever get to a spot in our life where we go, ah, we just write people off. Ah, but they're never, that's ah, just never going to work out. I'm done with them. No, we want to strive for this. We want to strive to be at peace with all people. I mean, can you imagine if we resolved conflict in a Christ-centered way? Can you imagine what could happen? Can you imagine what would happen in your marriage or in your family or at work or with your friends if you sought to be a peacemaker and you were like, I really want to resolve conflict? What could happen? What could change? As we um, just like... As we finish 2020 and in the coming years, we don't need any more people to be attackers in conflict or people who avoid. What we need in the rest of 2020, what this church needs, what the city of Jacksonville needs, we need people who, who will go, I wanna be a peacemaker. I think that's what we, 
we need. I think there's unbelievers around us who need to see that it is possible to resolve conflict. And it doesn't come by leaning on our own understanding, but it comes by acknowledging him. Him, the one who is the ultimate peacemaker. There's unbelievers in your life that need to see you resolve conflict well. And watch this. When you do, they're going to go, how, how did that happen? And you're going to go, let me tell you about the great peacemaker. The one who is my only hope. The one who's the prince of peace. Who came and made, when I was an enemy, he brought me into his family and made me a friend. So there's unbelievers that need to see us resolve conflict well. But you know what else? There's believers that need to see us model peacemaking well. Why? Because either in a past experience, they've been wounded deeply by conflict. It hasn't been handled well. They've been attacked, right? There's people who uh, are frustrated, and yet we get the opportunity, it's not a burden, but a privilege to walk alongside other believers and say, let me point you to the peacemaker. Let me point you to Jesus. Let's talk about him. And we model this well. So let me just give some hope and encouragement here, that if you're in this room and maybe you're a dad and recently you, you blew it in the home and you just, you didn't respond well and you, you have some regret. Or maybe there's a family member that's not talking to you anymore. Uh, look, let me point you to two passages quickly that we often hit on in our high school ministry. It's 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to purify me from all, from all unrighteousness. And then Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now, no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So here, if you're a dad in here, receive the, the hope or the encouragement from those words. Others of you, if you are here and you're discouraged by past conflicts, you know, someone's against you and you're like, man, I've really tried to live at peace with this person, but it hasn't gone well. I think you need to hear Romans 8. That though there may be someone against you, here's what Romans 8 basically says, that if God is for you, it brings up this question. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Look, if you're a believer and you've trusted in Christ, here's great news for you this morning. Your greatest problem has already been resolved at the cross of Christ. That's a... That's good to take in this morning. Another word of encouragement is, as I mentioned earlier in Revelation, there will be a day, one day, as we see in Revelation, there's gonna be no more conflict. And it's good for us to look forward to that day. What a day of rejoicing there will be, that we will sing and shout the victory. It's a song that we used to sing in North Carolina. I think as we think about heaven, it gives us a perspective in the future or in the present now that Christ is He's with us in the conflict. He's with us now. Uh, just a few weeks ago at our fall retreat that we had uh, here in Jacksonville, our high school ministry, it was called Breakaway. One of our leaders, Chris Dingfield, he asked uh, the students, he said, hey, do you know someone who has resolved conflict well and it impacted you? Such a great question. And I thought through right away, several people who I know ha have resolved conflict well, both here in Jacksonville and in North Carolina where my wife and I used to live. And so grateful for those people. And you may know people who you have seen resolve conflict well. They're peacemakers. They're peacemakers ultimately who they're, the way they live their life, it points you to the peacemaker. And I just want to end with that this morning, that I think our eyes need to be grateful for the people that he um, has put in our lives. But ultimately, remember that those people point us to the peacemaker. 
and one day we will see him face to face. And I think when we do see him, we will be glad that over the course of our life, we sought not to uh, attack in conflict or avoid, but we sought to pursue and work it out and to be a peacemaker. Man, if we're gonna be a peacemaker, we need all the help we can get. We need to, to, to pray. So let me, let me pray for us now. And as I, as, as I pray now, actually, let me give you about 10 seconds just to pray quietly for the Lord to maybe bring home to your heart anything that um, you need to hear or maybe something to confess to the Lord. Father, we, we praise you that your word says that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We want to humble ourselves before you. Um, this is a hard topic. I know it's hard to hear sometimes, but we are grateful for what you have done for us. And as you have done for us, we want to go and we want to make peace. Thank you that you have given us your spirit that lives in us. You empower us to do what you've called us to do and um, we're grateful would you teach us how to resolve conflict well? And we love you. We'll give you the rest of this day in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday.